comes in different places in Matthew 5, 6, 7. We're going to read um, part of the, the excerpt there where it talks that Jesus is talking about salt and light. And, uh, but before that, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Bless, uh, bless our time now. We ask that you would, uh, you would speak to us, and that we, there be things in this talk that it be you speaking directly to us. We release your Holy Spirit now. Thank you for this great sermon, Lord. Thank you. It, it, it speaks of your kingdom. It speaks about uh, who we are and who we're called to be. Uh, bless our ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there are uh, certain, certain themes or uh, ideas or perspectives that have been resonating with Viv and I for years. And uh, if you've been around this church for any, any length of time, you may be you may have picked up some of those nuances. And all of us, we've been through various uh, experiences, theological perspectives, uh, our family background, the influences that we've had in our lives, uh, our encounters with Jesus, or, or are not, or not encounters with Jesus. They, they affect our... Just going to borrow your glasses. Can you still sit there? Yeah. <laughs> they affect our lens, how we look... <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how we look at life through the lens, and each of us, because of our, our backgrounds, our experiences, our, uh, the people who invested in us, they, all of us have got this lens, um, and, it's, and it shifts how we see God, how we look at God, and how the lens of which we look, how, th how we think God looks at us. And all of us, every single one of us have these. Um, how we look at the world around us. Our, our, the, works, the work that we do, our interests, the, the things that we read. Because of the lens of our life, how we look, it affects loads and loads of things. And these Sundays, our aim really of these Sundays is, just to, is to gather around as a growing community and take some of these themes that... Uh, Viv and I have had, and others, and almost to become like spiritual archaeologists, and to, and to dig around some of these themes. We want to go mining here on a, on a Sunday. We want to go digging, looking for the artifacts, looking for those spiritual artifacts, looking for the treasure that God has called us to do. The themes that God has called us to find as this, uh, as this growing community. And what you'll hear, if, you're, if you've been around us for any length of time, you'll hear them some, some of these things will be sung, we'll study these, we'll speak about them, as we pray together, you'll hear some of the stories, some of these themes that are particularly dear to us, our interactions with people. It's, uh, it's our belief that God has called every single church around the world to place Jesus at the centre, to have Jesus as our central theme, and uh, every church should be placing Jesus as as its central theme, to dig around the themes of Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter of our faith. Bible was talking about Psalm 18 earlier, the rock in which we stand. 
He's our cornerstone of our faith. So as we look at, as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we've been thinking about what some of the themes, what's the, what's the thread, uh, what's the meta-narrative through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I, I'm going to, in Romans 12, 12, this is our lens as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. Romans 12, 12 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so our lens as we look at Sermon on the Mount is this upside-down kingdom. That the kingdom of God is very different to the kingdom that we experience day-to-day in our workplaces, in our, in our city. And uh, we want to champion the Bible. The Bible is amazing. It's the best way to follow Jesus. And I just want to really encourage you, if you think about anything today, I really want to encourage you to have create a lens of how you look at the Bible. Uh, it might be that some of us, we, uh, we read it, we pray it, we memorise it, we sing it. We have this lens. And the two lenses, as I want you to, to think about the Bible, is God has written this just for me. God has written the Bible just for me. And God wants to speak to me today through it. So God has, God has wanted to speak to me today through it, and he's written it just for me. Uh, and as spiritual, all of you now are called now to be spiritual archaeologists. You're called now, you're commissioned. And uh, other archaeologists, they have different tools. And as you read big chunks, it's almost like you have the big digger, the big JCB, and you take big chunks of scripture, you read the passages of scripture, you bash your way through. And, uh, or you use a guidebook or some other coaches to help you, well, where do I find this, and how do I do this? But then sometimes you hit something, and you then want to take your time in reading, rereading, studying. Uh, archaeologists have got little rock hammers and brushes, they just chip away, they chisel away, brushing off gently until you find the treasure that God has hidden in there for you. Uh, and sometimes this will take a day, sometimes you'll take big chunks and you'll suddenly hit on a, on a verse or a scripture and you think, oh, I need to take some time on this. Sometimes this happens for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, I, remember a few, I remember a few, forgive me for this, I, re, I remember a few years ago I, um, I had this experience of one, with a couple with a, with a book in scripture. Uh, Song of Songs, it's a weird book, it's a really weird book. I used to, again my lens on the Song of Songs was that it's a book for women. It's, a kind of, it's about God being your boyfriend. It's not, it's not really manly. And um, uh, it's this allegory about God and how we can be the bridegroom. You know, he's the bridegroom, we're the bride. And it's all a bit weird. So I kind of, my lens when I looked at the Song of Songs was, oh, it's for girls. It's not really for, for men. Um, but I started, I started reading it, and I, I was impacted by one particular verse. And, um, so I'm going to tell you what verse it is. And, uh, so it says, uh, uh, first few verses in chapter 1, it says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his word. Uh, some translation says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his lips, but I couldn't... I couldn't <laughs> 
Uh, other translations talk about this word, that the word of God, like God kisses us with his word. And uh, I just got stuck. I camped in. I was like this after I camped in on this verse for weeks and weeks and months and months and months. And I, I, I dug in and I looked for the treasure. It's almost like God had hidden treasure just for me. And the great thing about the Bible is that there's treasure for you. That God's written this Bible just for you. Um, if you're if you're not a believer, you can still get um, it's still relevant to you. If you're a business, the Bible's relevant. You can be a teacher, you can be a parent, a husband, or a wife. It's relevant to you if you're single. It's relevant if you're going through divorce or have been divorced. It's, the Bible's relevant. There's things in the Bible if you've been made redundant, if you've lost a child, if uh, you need help with teenagers. Um, you may be an alcoholic. You may be addicted to drugs. You may be depressed, suicidal. The Bible's relevant. It's relevant to you and me. And, and you know what? God knew what he was doing when he put the Bible together. And so you could be a believer, and you could read the same verse in one time of your life, for one season in your life. And the Holy Spirit is showing you things about that scripture just for you. And then you come to it the next part of your life, or the next season of your life. And the Holy Spirit's revealing something else. Um, it's almost like trifle. There were these, I mentioned the last time, there were these layers of script, there's layers of what God can do through one, one scripture. And so, as we, as we carry on talking about the Sermon on the Mount, read it. Ask God, God, this is written for me. What do you want to say to me through the Sermon on the Mount? So, um, we're going to read uh, Matthew 5, verse 15. I'm really, I'm really sorry, we've got problems with our projector today. We can't, we can't get the words. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. Just say this with me. Just say this with me out loud, everyone. God, you are good. God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you, you've written it just for me. Matthew 5. That's salt and Matthew 5, verse 13. And it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty then? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of God. It's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love. So Jesus, he's the great, he's, he's the master teacher. He's the, he's the best storyteller. I can easily, as I, as I read some of this, you can picture him teaching and preaching to his young friends as they sat on the shores of Galilee. So you, when you read the Bible, you use your imagination. As they sat on the shores of Galilee, maybe on the hillsides, in deserted places, or or even in the temple precincts in, in Jerusalem. And Jesus, he was fantastic because he incorporated everything around him in his teaching. 
and preaching. We see that when he calls his disciples, and they're, they're just fishermen. They're out there casting their nets, and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Uh, and other times, and here's another time where he's talking about salt and light, using those everyday things around him to, to bring in some of the kingdom principles. Uh, what, what are we going to do today? We're going to talk about salt, we're going to talk about light, and then um, I'm going to tell you about my work and um, see what happens there. Um, in, in the ancient biblical world, salt was really precious. It was a precious commodity. It gave flavour and zest to food. And it also served as this important preservative. Uh, and again, we're thinking about the context at the time. And I can imagine as Jesus is talking about, he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. He's saying to the, his disciples, I want you to give flavour and zest to the world. I want you to preserve my teaching." But also salt, uh, salt it makes us more thirsty, doesn't it? Uh, it makes us thirst for more. And uh, so I started thinking about salt, and was it more than that? Where, where he talks about it, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And I thought, that's quite an obscure, it's quite a weird thing to say, you are the salt of the earth. And in uh, Aramaic and Hebrew languages that Jesus spoke, uh, one word that meant earth could also mean clay oven. And at the time, because it got me thinking, it got me thinking about the time, what's he talking about clay ovens? You are the salt of the clay oven. What's, what does that mean? What does that mean? And in the biblical time, most villages had its own communal oven. And instead of using wood for fuel, uh, the young people of the villages, they would, um, they would create patties out of donkey and uh, camel dung. Um, I, I remember, this is a church. This is a church. <laughs> so these young people would, would, I don't know quite how they did it, but they would collect donkey and camel dung and they would mix it with salt and they would create these sort of thin patties and let them dry out in the Middle Eastern sun. And in the clay oven, in the village oven, they would place a big clump of salt at the bottom of the oven and then, and then put these patties on top. Not even. But, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Um, but the salt that mixed with the, the patties created the fuel and the salt became, had catalytic properties uh, for the fuel. And after a certain time, the, the salt, the slab salt, uh, would lose that its catalytic properties, and it would become useless. And so, when Jesus says, "You are the salt of the earth," but if 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 the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So, what they used to do is the. When the, when the patties were useless, they used to throw them out on the streets. And so you'd have all these dry patties that you'd walk on. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. They'd just be thrown, thrown out and trampled underfoot. So Jesus is saying that we are the salt of the earth. We're to be catalytic in our community. But we're to remain salty. Otherwise, we're just useless. You get that? You get that? 
Um, that was new for me. I, I learned that, so welcome to my world. So I hope that's just new. I just discovered that we are to be catalytic fires for the, for the people around us. But um, it's not salt like we know today. This thing about salt, salt losing its flavour is really difficult for us to understand because our soul, the purity of our soul, um, is, is totally different to what was used back in uh, the ancient times. In the ancient times, salt was not purified in the same way, but it was collected from the Dead Sea, uh, and it was dry. And as it dried, the, if, if, the, if the salt was exposed to uh, the elements, it would just break apart and lose its flavour. It's not like the salt that we have on our dinner table. So this metaphor is fantastic for us in terms of discipling and how to be followers of Jesus. Um, because it makes sense now. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I lose my vigour. Sometimes I lose the flavour of God. Whereas when we read it in today's language, we think we're always salty. Salt remains because it's purification. But at the time, Jesus is saying, you're going to lose your flavour. You're going to lose your flavour. Uh, in Colossians 4. Uh, so I started to think about salt. what does it mean to be salt of the earth? What does it mean to continue to have be salty in your flavour? Colossians 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer to everyone. I don't know about you in your, your workplaces, in your communities, but we're called to be salty. The upside down of the kingdom is that we're not to enter gossip or uh, talking down to other people or to put other people down, but we're to always remain gracious, honouring. Um, and so sometimes the, the kingdom that we live in, the workplace that we live in, it's easy to kind of get with that kind of culture to... So either to talk down to others, or to cut other people down, or to get into that sort of gossiping culture. Um, it happens all, all over. The, um, where we work, sometimes there's pressure to put others down in order to make yourself look good. And we've all been in situations where we've had bosses, or supervisors, or people we've worked with, or people who we're supervising, who are who are wanting to push themselves forward. And Jesus says, yeah, let your speech always be gracious. Let it always be gracious. Let it always be full of honour. And sometimes we lose our sal saltiness when we enter into some of, the, uh, some of that language where we gossip or where, where, we, where, we, where we put other people down. We join in, join in with that. Um, See, it's easy. We... We say, we are, if, if that does happen, we ask God to forgive us. We ask God, God I'm sorry for that. I've realised that I've entered into what other people have been around. And I'm, I, I repent, I'm sorry, I, I, do, I, I won't do that again. Um, but then he brings in this, this analogy of light as well. And uh, the salt and the light that has this kind of, it's, there's this together, togetherness. In addition to being the salt of the earth, Jesus called his followers to be the light of the world. Jesus transfers his light to 
So he says of himself, I am the light of the world. Jesus says of him, I am the light of the world. But then he shifts and he says, you are the light of the world. Jesus calls us to be the same light that he is. Um, light, I think about this, light works best in dark places. Light works best in dark places. And I was thinking about these patterns. Salt works best in crack. <laughs> Some of us we're called to be salt and light in the, in the worst places, in the darkest places. Some of us in our, in our workplaces or what we feel called to do, we're called to be amongst the dark and the crap places. And, uh, some of us are going through now, we're going through tough times at work. We're going through horrendous times in our families. We're going through difficult things in our, our relationship. And God is saying that his soul in you and his light in you works best in those times. Uh, so light, light works best in dark places. But what I've discovered is that light needs other light. Fuel needs other fuel to keep going. Um, the last few weeks I've, uh, I've started meeting with a... Uh, oh, sorry, let me just uh, do a sidebar. Sometimes when I, talk, when I talk honestly, I get people coming up to me and saying... Did you make that up? Was that, that real? Did that really happen? So, just a bit of silence. Yes, this is this is really true. This is really obvious. Um, the last few weeks, I've been meeting with a, a supervisor. I'm calling him a supervisor, um, who's just helping me to process some of the sort of painful things that happened in my past. Bits uh, calling him a counsellor, and I, I'm I'm still in denial about that. Um, all of us have had sort of painful stuff, traumas, things that have happened to us, things that people have said to us, done to us. And uh, I've, I've just been feeling I've needed to uh, talk to someone about some of those things. Um, and what I've noticed, and they've been telling me this for years, is that I've got this kind of residue anger that's been sort of, I've been sort of sho shoveling it down. Um, and how many of you know that hurt people hurt people? Hmm. How many of you experienced hurt from people because they're hurt themselves? And, um, so what, my heart is, I don't want to hurt you. Uh, and so I thought, maybe I can deal, maybe I, it's time for me to deal with some of the, the pain and the hurt that's happened in my life. Um, but my family have sort of got the brunt of it, as we've been talking these last few weeks, you know. Uh, some of that stuff is beginning to come up, and uh, on Thursday I, I said to Viv, Phil, I'm really angry, I feel this anger just spilling out, I don't want to be around anyone, I don't really want to be around myself either. Um, and as I've been thinking about the subject of today, like, you're the light of the world, you're the, you know, it's like, yay, great. Um, how can I speak with any authority or authenticity about that. And so on Thursday, I had a meeting in the afternoon of Ballam, and I, um, I went into Ballam, and I just sat on, a, sat on a bench outside CK Maxx, and I started thinking, like, giving God this anger, giving God what was going on. And I started thinking about some of the characters in the Bible, and I remember one of my favourite characters is Elijah, uh, one of my heroes, because he's 
used powerfully by God, but absolutely flawed. Um, he has these kind of Jekyll and Hyde moments where chapter before he's um, pronouncing, like, he's bringing down fire to the prophets of Baal, and you know, he's bringing the kingdom of God here. The next chapter he's sitting under the, under the tree wanting to commit suicide. So I, I, like, I like this guy. I like, I like these guys that have got flaws, flawed. And, um, and I love how God uses people with issues. I love how God uses people with issues. I love that every hero in the Bible, both male and female, they're flawed. And God seems to choose, um, he said, as, a, as a church leader, he seems to choose those people that I've never let loose with leadership. Um, I imagine King David, he would, uh, he, maybe King David came to church and uh, he filled up one of those serving cards and he said, uh, Steve, I'd like to get involved with hospitality, welcome to hospitality. As a kind of a leader, I would say, well, you're, you're a bit of a womanizer. Um, I don't really want, you know, husbands, be careful of this guy King David, look after your wives, don't let him near, near them. Or I think about Abraham, the founder of our, you know, the, the founder, of the, the, the father of our faith. He might come up to me and say, or come up to Ben and say, I really want to get involved in men's ministry. And I would say, aren't you into male circumcision? Isn't that what you do with men? You're not being part of that. And so Elijah, he, he might come to me and say, I'd like to be involved in pastoral ministry. I'd probably say to him, didn't you want to die last week? Didn't you want to sort of, how can you be involved in pastoral ministry? So welcome to my world. Um, so as I sat on the bench just thinking about these great, great people, men and women of God, um, I, I sort of got encouraged that God uses, um, God uses those people. Um, and I felt God say, in you need life itself. I felt God say, you need to be surrounded by life in order for your life to, to burn. And at that time, Danny came over and uh, we, we had this conversation. So literally, God said, you need people who'd like to come over. And uh, for those of you who know Danny, he's amazing. He's amazing. He's just, he brings life. Um, there he is. <laughs> um, despite his disabilities, he just brings life. He loves Jesus, loves people, loves West, loves Man United. Which is um, but he, it was almost like God brought Danny to me, and he had this chat. Um, he just gave me life. He gave, Danny gave me life. And, uh, and God said, right now, you go and bring life. And then I suddenly, Danny left, and I suddenly noticed this lady sitting next to me. And um, we started chatting. And I said, well, what I tell you guys to do? You know, can I pray for you right now? Seven words that can change that. And I thought, oh, yeah, I need to practice what I'm trying to get everyone else to do. So I said, can I pray for you right now? And she said, oh, yes, yes, please, you can pray for my knee, uh, for my knee. And she started lifting up her leg and showing me her sort of gammy knee. And, uh, 
people walking past. <laughs> and, um, I just said, you know, God loves you. I really just said, God loves you. God loves you and he wants to heal you. Can I pray for you now? She said, yeah, yeah, please do. And as I prayed, she just looked, looked at me. She just started crying. And she was saying, you're, wow, you've got so much light. And I was saying, you've got no idea. You've got no idea what I've just been praying five minutes ago. And um, we blessed her and she prayed. She told, we told about Jesus. And um, she, may come, she may come. But she just had, she had an encounter with Jesus. And um, uh, so this week, I've been thinking about this whole phrase, Christ in us. Uh, Colossians 1, 26. It says Christ in you. And it's one of the themes that we're seeing across the church is that it's, uh, I feel, we feel like the church is in transition from, from being, we're, gonna, we're just getting to heaven. Christ in me, oh great, I've made it to heaven. Uh, and one of the things that we talk about is to bring heaven to earth. Uh, and there's these layers. So Christ in us has these layers. And we're realising that Christ in me doesn't just mean that I get to heaven, but I get to be part of bringing heaven to others, despite, despite what's going on in me. Um, I, was th- I was praying for you guys today, and um, I was praying that God would help those here who, who are the Christ. You feel the Christ, you feel that kind of fog of depression around you and um, uh, I feel like God wants to uh, surround you with, with love surround you with encouragement and uh, there was a number of people here today that you're just feeling depressed, you're feeling low you've got no energy uh, you don't want to be around people, you don't want to be around yourself uh, and God just wants to encourage you he knows what you're going through, some of us are going through tough, tough times at the moment and God just wants to strengthen you, like he did with Elijah. So Elijah sat under the tree, and what did God do? He sent him raisins, he sent him food, he sent him, uh, raisins, he sent him food and strengthening, strengthening his body. And um, We want this place to be a place where you can get strengthened, so that when you go, you're, you're full of God's light, you're full of God's soul for God. Uh, so let's stand, let's stand, and we're, we're going to pray for Elijah. God, God continually sets us up to remember him. God continually brings people around us to remind us who we are. Remind us that we're not just on our own. Just say, just say this out loud. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Uh, just turn to your neighbour and say, you shine really brightly. You shine really brightly. <laughs> It might be if you're singing, you might want to give someone a wink. (laughs) (laughs) I promise not to say that. You shine really brightly. Um, God's really, really good. He's been a really good mate. And um, despite our flaws, God says that we're to bring the light to where we are. Um, maybe that some of you just want some prayer for your workplaces now. It might be that you just want to want to be 
shine a bit brighter in your workplace. It might be that you are the only light in your workplace. That God really feel like God wants us wants us to pray for you now. And again, if, if anyone is feeling low, feeling depressed, we'd love love to pray for you. Um, so as we worship, why don't you come? Why don't you come down the front here? just so we can identify people to pray for. Why don't you come down now? Um, If that's you, any of that's you,